thank you for listening to our podcast. We pray that the word that you hear on this program will encourage, strengthen, and motivate you to do the will of God. Be blessed by today's message. Tonight, I want to be transparent about a question, a simple line, a question that I've asked God a lot. Why, God? I thought on a personal level of a situation, have you ever been frustrated with someone, but you acted like everything was okay as if you understood, but you just didn't, and you didn't ask him why? I remember years ago, I was dropping my vehicle off at a dealership to get repaired, and the lady that worked at the service department that I had been acquainted with, for no reason at all, after I had politely asked her about the time frame it would be to uh, repair the vehicle, she snapped at me. She snapped as harsh as can be like a snapping turtle. And I sat back and I thought, did I say something? Well, I didn't say nothing back to her. I went home, and I'm telling you, that ate at me like a cancer for days. After a few days, I said, I've got to call this woman. So I called, the phone, I called her before. I said, I can't, I can't go back and pick this truck up and act like everything's okay. I've got to find out why. So I called her. I said, I told her what happened. I said, why did you do that? And she told me I had a bad day. She said, I had a lot on me that day. She said, I had just got blamed for losing a remote control in a vehicle right before you, and I took it out on you, and I'm sorry. And I forgave her. I just needed an answer. I just needed to know why. Then I could honestly communicate with her again without reserve. Think about how many times you've went to God in prayer troubled with a why, but you didn't express it to him. Because, well, you can't please God without faith. So it would be doing a dishonor to come to him and ask him why, or act like we really were doubting his plan, so we don't ask why. But we fail to remember that God knows the very thoughts and the intents of our heart. Jesus looked at the Pharisees in Luke chapter 16, verse 15, and said, God knows your heart. So, dear God, if he knows the sinner's heart, how much more does he know his own children's heart? And we don't come to God with really what's in our hearts. I'm reminded in Mark chapter 9 of the father, this father who had a child who was demon-possessed and brought him to Jesus to set him free after the disciples had failed at, had a failed attempt at setting him free. Verse 21 says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Verse 22, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, but if you, can do, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can? He said, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think there was a why stuck in there somewhere, a little bit of doubt. But that passage leads me to these points that are so true. Crisis leads to questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to response. 
And depending on how you respond to the answers, our response to the answers will either bring resolve, which brings peace, or if you respond in the negative way, it brings you back to square one at crisis. I'm thinking about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus asking how to get eternal life. And we know what happens. Jesus asked a question because this rich young ruler had a crisis. I found out that I could get to heaven and live eternally. The crisis is how. So he had a question for Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? There was an answer. Jesus said, sell all your possessions, give to the poor and follow me. And we know his response. He walked away sorrowful. He didn't take what Jesus gave him. Both men, the demonic child's father and the rich young ruler, both came to Jesus with some doubt. But only one responded with faith and found peace. One found peace because they accepted the answer that Jesus gave, and they responded in a positive way. The other rejected the response that Jesus had, the word, and they went back into the crisis that they came came in. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Amplified Version. Trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know and acknowledge and recognize him, and he will make your path straight and smooth, removing obstacles that block your way. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord with reverent awe and obedience and turn entirely away from evil. It will be health to your body, your marrow, your nerves, your sinews, your muscles, all your inner parts, and refreshment, physical well-being to your bones. I love that last part on a side note that obedience to God brings health, physical health. Now, we always take the word of obedience and we say, well, Lord's going to bless you spiritually, but I'm going to seriously take this literal and apply it to my life, and you do the same, acknowledging the Lord, recognizing him, trusting in him, and let him straighten your paths, not being wise in your own eyes, will bring health to your physical body. It's the word. And how are we going to respond to that? We're going to believe it, and we're, and, and we're going to be affected by the fact that the Lord can heal our body through obedience. But I want to talk tonight about a man named Habakkuk. If you have your Bibles or however you have, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet of God who lived during the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom, and it was a time of injustice and idolatry. He saw the rising threat of Babylon on the horizon, which was not good news for anyone However, unlike the other prophets, Habakkuk does not accuse the people of Israel, nor is he speaking on behalf of the people. Habakkuk's conversation in these short three chapters with God, it was personal. In fact, the words of Habakkuk were poems of lament. In other words, this man came to God with some whys. And when I read this passage I guess because I've been bringing a lot of wise to God, somehow the Lord got me to this recently, and I can relate to this story so much because, as I said, wise have been in my heart, 
And after reading this passage, it's peaceable to know that I have a spiritual heavenly father that will allow me to come to him with the wise and not cast me out, especially after hearing what he said to God. So usually in the beginning of a prophetic book, we'd expect to hear something like, I was in the temple on the Lord's day, or I was worshiping God on the mountain, and Jehovah spoke these words to me. That is totally not what Habakkuk said. Habakkuk starts his conversation with God like this in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But do you not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry. But do you not come to save? Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. When I see that, it almost looks and sounds as if Habakkuk is looking to God and saying, Are you deaf, dumb, and blind? Do you not see what's happening on this earth? That is almost the level of question that Habakkuk expressed to God. As if, are you not seeing what's going on here? Why are you letting this happen? I don't understand. Well, God responded. He didn't strike him with lightning. He didn't kill him dead. He responded. Verses 5 and 6 says, The Lord replied, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't have believed even if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. What is God's response to Habakkuk? He tells him that he's raising up an ancient nation to come against this land where Habakkuk sees all of this intolerable wickedness going on. Habakkuk is saying, God, do you not see how bad the earth is? Do you not see how, what's happening? And God says, you don't see what I see. And what I want to tell you, you aren't even going to believe it. You see, God was raising up the enemy to take care of what was going on through discipline. It wasn't going to be a peaceable thing. It was through discipline. And then Habakkuk responds. Let's go down to verse 12 and 13. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you are eternal. Surely you don't plan to wipe us out. So Habakkuk is questioning God's plan again. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? So Habakkuk says to God, wait a minute, God. That isn't what I was asking for. You mean to tell me you're going to use people that are more evil than your people to come and destroy your people that are your people? Do you know what you're doing? They don't deserve mercy. Why are you going to chastise your people, your children, with people that are even more evil? Uh, 
a man by the name of Lee Warren, he's a Christian neurosurgeon, explained it best in his book when he wrote these words. Most of us, probably all of us, if we're honest, approach life expecting everything to be good all the time. And then when life is difficult and bad, things happen, we wonder where God is and doubt our faith or abandon it altogether. We pray for one thing and get another, and we respond by deciding that God can't be real because he's not behaving as we want him to. I feel like sometimes in my heart, the raw, uncut version of my prayers to God sounds more like this. God, please change this situation. Move this mountain. Turn this thing around. So I can get back to being the comfortably happy camper that I once was before all this was going on. I was kind of comfortable, comfortable back then, and now all of this is going on. This COVID stuff, it's miserable. Life is not how it was. Please just get rid of it because I want to go back to being comfortable again. Like, you know, you didn't know how good you had until you lose it. So I won't complain anymore, God. Just take it all away, make it go back to way before pre-COVID, and then I'll be happy again. Kind of maybe what Habakkuk was saying. God, that's not, this is, this is hanging around for too long. This isn't how I want you to do this, God. I came to you praying for something, and you're telling me that you're going to use the very thing that I'm wanting you to move? Wait a minute. There are times when we have to step back to see the big picture. It's not easy. God had had enough. You see, Habakkuk was looking one direction. But the big picture was this. The Bible had, God has a, a, figuratively, has a cup of judgment. And it gets to the rim, but something happens, or they cry, people cry out and they repent, and all of a sudden it goes back down. But at this point in time, God had had enough with his people. And the cup of judgment was almost full, and he was ready to discipline his children, but Habakkuk didn't like God's plan. Somewhere along the line, I think we've forgotten that God is still a just judge. I know he's love. I know he's comfort. I know he's a peacemaker, but he's still a judge. Do you know what a judge does? Opens up the law, abides by the law, and applies the law. And you have to go by what it says. You can't go against it. God is still that. Notice God's response to the judgment wasn't toward... This was profound to me. God's response to the judgment wasn't necessarily toward the evil nations, but he was going to use the evil nations to punish his people. Second Chronicles chapter, chapter 7, verse 14, the first three words, if... My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Where did we get, I think we've took my people out and we put in there, if the United States of America who are called by my name. Where in the world did we, um, where did we spread this out to where, we include the lost and expect them to act like the church. That's not what the Bible says. 
God is not sitting back waiting for evil nations and ungodly people to turn from the wicked ways. He's waiting for his people. And let, let me narrow this down to the church, me and you. If my people, he's waiting for us to humble ourselves and pray. You see, God wasn't so focused on the Babylonians and the Chaldeans to get them straight. He was worried about his people who were in idolatry and doing sinful, ungodly things and thinking that things were going to be okay. That's not how God works. When did God stop being just? He didn't. When did God stop holding us accountable for our sins? He hasn't. Where in the Bible does it say that God will never use evil nations to discipline his people? It doesn't. If my child, if my children don't receive punishment when they've disobeyed me, then they'll never remember the sting of chastisement and subconsciously they'll be free to live a life of rebellion because they won't know that there's a discipline, that there is a punishment for doing wrong. Spare the rod. The only two things that I know for sure God promised to never have to do again, correct me if I'm wrong, Number one, he'll never flood the earth. And number two, he'll never have to send someone to die for our sins again. doesn't say that God won't use evil nations, situations, to potentially open the eyes up of his people who are in the wrong directions, thinking the wrong way, doing the wrong things. But notice God didn't respond to Habakkuk's comeback. Because Habakkuk had a comeback. God, Habakkuk came to God with a complaint. God answered. Habakkuk responded to it. God didn't respond back to the second response until the first line of verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk said, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. The first line of verse 2. Then the Lord said to me, Then, when? It was when Habakkuk positioned himself where he needed to be. Was this a figurative position for him to be on a wall as a watch person? Because in the Bible days, on the walls of the city, there were places where people would be the watchmen to see what's on the outside if the enemy is coming and also high enough to where they can let the people know what's coming. This was the position that Habakkuk had to be in to actually hear the response. God waited for Habakkuk to be positioned with a purpose. We've got to be positioned with purpose before God will respond to us with his plan. Because it's that big. As watchmen, as soon as we hear what God tells us, a wall has two sides, right? You hear from God, you see the enemy coming this way, but when God gives us his plan, we turn and tell the people. 
we as watchmen, as men and women of God who are to position ourselves in a place, in a place of repentance, in a place of solidarity with God, and, and, and to hear what he is saying to us. The book of Jeremiah tells us to, that God tells us, call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Why? So that I can just hoard what God gives me to say, look what I got a word. No, it is to turn around and tell the people and give the people what God wants. The Lord told Ezekiel in chapter 3, verse 17, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Isaiah 62, 6 says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. It's, it's, it is high time, and I'm including myself in this, that the men and women of God are to awake from rest to shake ourselves up, shake ourselves off from the slap or from the, if we feel like we've been knocked down by what we've experienced, to get back up. There is the only place that we are to rest in is in Him. There is not a time, there's no place for us to be lackadaisical. It's not a time and place for us to, we've got to get our whys out of our system, get in prayer, get the whys out, give God everything that's inside of you. Don't come to God acting like you don't have doubt. Give him the doubt. I've come to the point to where I'm tired of coming to God in prayer, feeling like that I have to be super powerful, strengthened in faith, that I know that when I pray, things are going to change. When there's times that I come to prayer, and I don't doubt that God can. I doubt that he will. And that's doubt. And if I don't open up and just give God my doubt, just like the demoniac's father said, Lord, I believe, but help my doubt. That is honesty. And guess what happened? Jesus said, if you believe, you, you will. And he believed the word. And because he gave God his doubt, Jesus gave him a word. And that father received what he needed. It's time for us to give everything that's inside of us. God is love in the sense that give him, tell him how you feel. But some of us don't have good relationships with those that are over us to where they feel like, I can't talk to an elder this way because I'll be corrected. It'll be disrespectful. So how can I come to God this way? God is not like man. God is love. God is merciful. And we can come to God with whatever we have inside of us. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Then the Lord goes on to say the wicked will be punished. So just because God will use the wicked to chastise his people, the wicked will be punished 
But the Bible says, God said, vengeance is mine. God is not stupid. When God plans to do something, he is in the beginning and he's already at the end of it. He already knows his plan. But the Bible says the just will live by faith. One man said, faith is a footbridge that you don't know will hold you up over the chasm until you're forced to walk out onto it. And I think that's why sometimes God don't work the way we want him to because it forces us to step out in faith over that chasm of fear of what could happen so that when you step out, you see faith in his power has brought you to his will. God pushes us in faith. I don't like it. It's like uh, the mother bird pushing the baby bird out of the nest to fly because she knows what that bird is capable of doing. And sometimes I believe God pushes us out into a situation that we want him to change personally uh, in, in ways that he wants us to. He said, my grace is sufficient. My power is made strong in your weakness. And for too long, we've, we've shaped God into this person that works a certain way. And we've got to go back to see how did he work in the Bible? Because that's the accurate way. And if we get our understanding of God off, then we'll start to doubt that God really does love us. We'll start to doubt that he even cares that he's even listening to us because our view is off. The Lord's response to Habakkuk changed his outlook completely. He went from asking why and how long to saying, Behold the righteous, the people who wait upon the Lord and get a vision from the Lord can wait upon the Lord. He came to the conclusion that the righteous can live by faith while awaiting the promises of God to come to pass. When God tells you he's going to do something, it may not always be like that. But he gives you the faith and the strength and the grit and the zeal to hang on to what he's told you he's going to do until it happens. He said, it, 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 it will not delay. It will come to pass. You see, after one gets a vision of the Lord, it changes the way they pray. It changes the way they see God. Habakkuk realizes that God's people are going to be judged. Habakkuk himself is judged by the coming of the Lord. But because he embraces the judgment, he is able to say, he went from God, what are you doing? I don't like how you're doing it, to saying this. After he experienced God, he said, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk went to God, I don't like what's happening. Stop what's going on to saying, you know what? God, if you're using what's happening to bring your people back to you, I'm going to stand back and say, God, just be merciful to me. I'm going to stand in this calamity, but I'm going to stand on your word and watch the hand of God cover me, cover your people. Habakkuk, like the other prophets, experienced God and was not the same. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. When God answered Habakkuk, verse 
Habakkuk said, I trembled inside when I heard this. When I heard God's response, my lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. Then he said, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Reminds me of Isaiah when he experienced God. He said, woe is me for I am unclean. My eyes have seen the holy king. Isaiah's view of God and his plan changed when he experienced him. I feel like we haven't pressed close enough, waited long enough, tarried long enough in the presence of God to actually hear from God to change us. Because when we do, our whys will turn into woes. Our questions will turn into faith. And in light of God's vision of himself, Habakkuk says, I can wait. And then I love this marvelous conclusion, verses 17 through 19. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet... Even though everything that I wanted isn't happening, every, even though calamity is still here, even though there's still a need, even though things aren't moving the way that we want this nation to, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation, for the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as a sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. It's not the nation that strengthens me. It's not people that strengthens me. Habakkuk said, it's not my own view that strengthens me. He said, the sovereign Lord is who strengthens me. It was the sovereign Lord who strengthened Job when everything around him was upside down, when his family was dead, his friends was coming against him. The animals, all his possessions was gone. It was a sovereign Lord that came to him and he experienced God and he went from why to woe. And all of a sudden, Job looked up at his wife when she tried to get him to curse God and die and said no. Job praised God after having almost arguments with God just like Habakkuk did. And God turned Job's life around better than what it was before. There is no reason to fear. There is no reason to worry. There is no reason to be anxious and doubt. This is a place of hope. This is a book of hope. We win. We win. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. It's time that we have belief in this over the lies of the enemy. Get the wise out of your system. Bring him to God. He said, come just as you are. You come in prayer. Prayer will change your heart and align it to his will. For too long, we've assumed that prayer changes God to what we think he should do. But God already has his plan. Prayer 
changes our heart to the heart of God. We adopt the heart of God when we pray and when we listen. I like to think of prayer like a car wash. You drive through the car wash to clean your car off because it's dirty every day. The bugs and everything on it, the dirt and the grime. You drive through the car wash. But you don't drive through the car wash. What's the first thing they do? They tell you to kick it in neutral, get your foot off the pedal, sit back and let the car wash do its work. You can't rush through the car wash. You got to let it do its thing. When you get into prayer, take it out of drive, kick it in neutral, and let the power of God, let the word of God, let the presence of God sanctify and cleanse you in ways that you can't. And don't put it in drive until it's finished. You don't exit prayer until God is finished with cleansing you. But unfortunately, there's times I'm going to kick my, put myself under the bus too. I'm not just saying this to y'all. Halfway through the car wash of prayer, I've got 50 things on my mind or other things that's got to be done. I can't wait. Kick it in drive and I'm out of there halfway clean. We have got to tarry in prayer. Get the questions out of our system. Tell God exactly how we feel and wait to hear what he has to say to us. Let his word cleanse us. Let his word change us. Experience God. If God can speak to the prophets of old and give them answers, why can't he do that for us? If he is the same as he was back then, he hasn't changed, then I think that means that we've, we're too impatient and we're driving out of the car wash too quick and not waiting on God to finalize on a daily basis what he wants to do in our life. Because you don't go through a car wash and your car is clean forever. No. No, we live in a decrepit, sinful world and none of us are perfect. So although we strive for perfection and we can maybe make it a day or two through prayer without sinning, there are times you're going to fall and you've got to get in that prayer. But like Habakkuk and Isaiah and Job, We've been praying. We've been praying for a long time, haven't we, Sister Terry? We've been asking for a long time. And I've had some whys. I've had frustration in my heart at God with a lot of whys. I'm not going to lie. But it is the most comforting feeling to go to God with those whys, with the frustration and he comforts me with his word and with his presence. I may not have a definite answer, like Habakkuk didn't get his definite answer, but there's something about the presence of God that answers your spirit. It may not answer your mind, but your spirit gets an answer, and it gives you the strength to get up. And not just for you, but to help somebody else. Because if we, aren't strength, if we don't help strengthen ourselves, we can't strengthen others, and we have to do this together. This is a unified thing. And what God wants to do in this house 
It takes unity. We're waiting on God to do what only he can do in our lives. And we're going to wait. And we're going to be patient. And we're going to hope in him. Because if Habakkuk can do it, if Habakkuk can say, God, I woke up this morning hoping that everything we're facing in this world will be over with, and it's still here. Yet I will praise you, God. I woke up this morning in the spirit. I looked at the fig tree, and it was no, it was no blossom. But you know what, God? I felt your presence this morning, and I'm going to praise you anyways because I feel like that you're going to pull me through it. God, I woke up this morning and that situation is worse. But your word tells me you're able to do more than I could ever ask or think according to the power that works within me. And God, that's enough if just to get me through today, that's enough. There's more power in that old song, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, than what you think. It's no longer a year to year what's going on next year. It's one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking from you. Because if you can survive tomorrow, you can survive the next day. God doesn't want us to be ignorant of what he wants to do. He may not tell us as soon as we want it. But tonight, let's get a determination in our heart to declare and make a stand and make a statement. God, I have some whys but I'm going to wait on you. God, let me feel your presence. Cover me and guide me, strengthen me, uplift me like you did your prophets of old. And I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to stand on your word even if I don't see fruit on the tree in the spirit. Even if the olive tree branches failed, God, there's still roots. And I'm not giving up because that plant can still grow in the spirit. Amen. Let's make that determination through prayer this evening, if you would stand. Oh, we worship you, Lord God. God, we humbly come before you tonight, God. With every question in our heart, God, your word says you know the very thought and the intent of our heart, God. You know the questions that we've been hiding from you, God, because we didn't want to dishonor you, Lord. But tonight, you're here with open arms to receive everything that we have, God. God, because I understand if we can't come to you, then we're going to go to somebody else, God. And you're a jealous God, so tonight we acknowledge that you're here for conversation. You're here for fellowship and relationship, God. You're one-on-one, -on -one, God, with us. You don't want us going to an idol for answers. You want us coming to the throne to hear from you. So tonight, God, our heart is open. Our frustrations we lay out on the table, God. We're not hiding it anymore because you already know our heart, Lord. We're here to give it to you. And we pray tonight, God, create in us, like David said, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us, God. Tonight, if, if that's you and you feel 
the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. If you want to pray at the pew, that's fine. If you want to come to this altar and pray and cry out to God, whatever you feel that you need to do to connect with God on that personal level, you do it. And let's be saturated in the Word of God. As we wait on His promises to come to pass. Bye.